Our reading today is from the fifth chapter of First Peter. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The word of the Lord. What do you do around here? That's one of those questions that is so very basic, yet it's one that has the ability to stop me personally in my tracks. What does it mean to be a, a pastor anyways? What do I do? What are my responsibilities? Why do I get paid? I'm sure I've shared this story before, but it's one of my favorites, and so please indulge me again as I tell it. This won't be the last time. If it's not the first, it won't be the last time that I share this story. It's one of my favorite from my years in ministry, and so it was the second full summer uh, that, that Amy and I were in California, and I was serving as youth pastor, and so Kyle was born that summer, and so that summer I had a summer intern, and it was very useful to me to have a summer intern since so much of, of my life had changed on June 25th, 2011. Everything changed, and so I had this summer intern. He was a, a first year, just finished his first year of college at a, a military academy, and so he was a, a very responsible um, young man, and so uh, periodically throughout the summer, we would get together and have coffee, and I would check in on how he was doing. And, and then one of the times we were sitting there, and, and he asked me this question. He said, what's your job? And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, what do you, like, what do, you do to get paid? What, what's your job? And I was like, this? <laughs> this is what I do. It was one of those moments where I realized I was very uncomfortable, and I realized that this kid who, who, who was raised in the church, baptized, confirmed, had no idea who I was or what I was doing there. He thought I was a volunteer. And so I thought to myself, what do I do? 
why am I getting paid? And I had this gnawing doubt that I even understood what it meant to be a pastor, that I was one, or that what I did had any value. It's that feeling you get. I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room who's had that, that feeling of being an imposter, right? Like like someone is going to figure out that you don't really belong in the place that you are and they're going to expose it and everyone's going to see what a fraud you are. And so sometimes when you get a new job or you become a parent or you're just an adult, you're like, someone's going to figure out that I'm not really what I am pretending to be. And so that was a awkward and defining moment. And if there ever was a time, you know, in society where one could assume that the general public knew what a pastor was or pastor did, besides do what I'm doing now, give sermons, I think that's like the basic default level of knowledge that we can assume that those days are long past. And most pastors, we kind of don't know what it is we're supposed to do anymore besides, okay, we give a sermon once a week, we baptize some babies, you know, weddings, funerals, beyond the sort of basic functions of the job, it's like, what do we do? And so Peter today, he speaks to the, the roles and the responsibilities and the proper motivations for leaders in the church. And he doesn't have that much to say. He only has one real verb to say about what a pastor does, but it's a very rich one. But he speaks most to the motivations of the heart. More on that anon. But church leadership is so important that, that, that Peter dedicates in this short letter this whole section to it about what it means to be a leader in the church. And it's something that's so important, but it's something that we just don't talk very much about. And so this morning, I want to demystify it a a bit. I want to see what Peter has to say on what it is that church leaders do and what they're supposed to be about. And we're reaching today the end of this series on, on 1 Peter, on Foundations. And this is his letter to the beleaguered little churches of Asia Minor who were facing intense persecution and pressure and suffering because of their faith in Christ. And Peter keeps holding for them this, this glorious hope of this future that they have because they belong to Jesus, that, that one day it's all going to make sense and it's all going to work out and then they'll understand that their suffering was actually a sign of how close they were to Jesus. If I were to summarize what the overarching message of First Peter is, it's be hopeful. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what you're facing, because Jesus lives, because he's conquered sin, death, the grave, evil, be hopeful. You have a future. And so today we're going to look at, 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 at what Peter has to say about being a leader in this community of hope, about what it means, about what it means to lead, what it means to follow, and then get out of the way. As I believe, what was it, Lee Iacocca said in business, right? Lead, follow, or get out of the way, or was it someone else? I think it was Lee Iacocca. Lee Iacocca, the former head of General Motors. Ford? Chrysler. You know, one of the car companies. All right. I did my research, obviously, on who said that. So um, if someone wants to Google that and share it, shout it out during the sermon, that's okay. We can be interactive here. All right. So lead, follow, and get out of the way. So first, leading. What, it is, what is it that Peter has to say about leadership? And, and if there's anything, you know, so sort of being a pastor, the, the, the art uh, and science of being a pastor, that's sort of fallen out of fashion. And so now anything that you get sort of church leaders together, what they want to talk about is, is not being a pastor, but, but leadership, 
right? The pastor as sort of CEO or leader of a business organization. And so pastors, we are obsessed with leadership. I think that reflects kind of the general culture's obsession with leadership. Of the writing of books about leadership, there is no limit, no end. In fact, I am guilty as charged. I'm in the midst of taking an online course taught by a wonderfully delightful Canadian pastor called the High Impact Leader. Trying to teach me to lead like never before, and it's really good. But the problem that I see, as a, even as I take this course, it's like I can be a really, really good leader and totally and completely objectively fail at being a pastor. And so Peter, at the beginning of the passage, he is exhorting the elders among you as a fellow elder. And so he's speaking to church leadership, which he identifies using this term. Elders, a term that's borrowed over from Judaism, where, where elders served an important community role in, in the life of the village and, and of the synagogue. You know, they oversaw, kind of kept the finances, uh, made sure everything was functioning nicely. If there was disputes or problems, they would adjudicate those. And so elders kind of had this overarching supervisory managerial role within the community. And so Peter is saying, as elders, you need to exercise oversight. And so we have two words in this passage that have done a lot of work historically within the church to describe who leaders are and what it is that leaders are supposed to do. And so this, this word oversight, um, you know, comes from the, the, the related word is overseer, which is in Greek is this word episkopos, which if you know anything about church, you'll go, oh, you'll think of the Episcopal church. And so episkopos is, is um, Greek for bishop or for Overseer, and so some churches have organized themselves hierarchically over the years. So you have like the you know Episcopal Church, Roman Catholic Church, Methodists, even some strands of Lutheranism. You have a, an episcopos, a bishop, an overseer who who oversees the pastors and churches within kind of a given geographical region, more or less power depending on the on the denomination. So you have an overseer role, an oversight role, a bishop type role for leaders in the church. And then you have another word that's doing a lot of work in this passage and has historically done a lot of work. That's the word for elder, which is uh, presbyteros in Greek, which is where you get Presbyterian. And part of this whole, you know, cooperative ministry partnership we got going on here, we got a Presbyterian uh, stream flowing into it. And, and, and so that means that elders rule in the church, women and men set apart. Some to preach and teach, others to provide oversight and direction for the various ministries of the church. And so we're not exactly sure how the earliest churches organized their leadership. We know they had some organization. We don't know how much connection or accountability there was between the churches. But we know that individual congregations had some kind of leadership, and they used these various, sometimes interchangeable titles for their leaders, like elder, bishop, deacon. And all of this is of more than antiquarian interest because we are a church and as church we have leaders too and so if we want our leaders to lead well and if we want to follow well then we need to understand what are these foundational teachings that peter is providing us about what it means for leaders in our own community to lead and what it means for them to not lead what leadership isn't and the essential clue to understanding what it means to be a leader in the church and what that leader actually does is found in this very simple word. It's, it's, it's the, the main verb of the beginning of our passage where Peter says, shepherd 
the flock that's under your care. And that word, shepherd, is the central title and central task of what it means to be a leader in the church. And in fact, where we get our word pastor, that's just the Latin word for shepherd. And in Scripture, this metaphor of the shepherd, it's used for God and the leaders of God's people throughout. And in the most famous example, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And you could actually, I never thought about this before, you could say, the Lord is my pastor. I shall not want. Jesus himself made much use of this title of of pastor, shepherd. In, In John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. John 21, after he's risen, after Easter, he he meets with Peter again after Peter has denied him and abandoned him and failed him. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So Jesus' last words to Peter were, be a shepherd. Shepherd the flock. And, And in the first Christian century, so first couple centuries of Christianity, the favored image of Jesus was as Jesus as the good shepherd. You'd find this everywhere in, in the catacombs and in the mosaics of the early house churches, that Jesus as the good shepherd was the dominant image. Before Christ was hailed as king or like we see in Eastern Orthodox churches or, or the suffering man on the cross or, or the child being held by the Virgin Mary, the favored symbol of Jesus was of the shepherd. And so Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd and the rest of the church leaders are under shepherds. We take our lead from him. And so this verb, shepherd the flock, we don't have much experience, many of us, with shepherding sheep. In fact, I would dare say, go so far to say, as no one in this room has ever been a shepherd over a flock of sheep. Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, so this metaphor was so important, it did such a lot of work, it it made a lot of sense to this congregation that's hearing it, and we hear it and we go, well, okay, you have some responsibility for a bunch of sheep. That's not super helpful and super specific when it comes to leadership in the church. But thankfully, Jesus being as wise as he was taught us, he taught us in John 10, what does a shepherd do? What are they about? What is the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep? And so it's worth uh, reflecting back on those words that he says in John 10. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeepers open. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. All right, so here's what we learn. Be a shepherd. What does that mean? It means a bunch of different things, but if you think you ever want to be a leader in the church, pay attention to this list. And so first it means being a shepherd means you know your sheep. You know them. 
And this cuts against, against um, sort of the trend towards the pastor as, right, the sage on the stage. You know, so my goal is to grow this congregation big enough so we can have some satellite campuses and my face can be broadcast to other people hearing my marvelous teaching. I'm being sarcastic, folks. That's, that's, that, I don't, <laughs> I have lower aspirations for myself. But it's like you can't pastor people if you don't know people. You can't lead people if you don't know people. Jesus says they know the voice. They recognize the voice. The shepherd recognizes and knows the sheep. And second, to be a pastor, it means you guide your sheep. Sheep can only be led. They're, they're not like cattle or horses where you can sort of drive them from behind. You know, there's no such thing in the church as leading from behind. You have to go ahead. You, you, you have to woo your sheep to get them to come to the place where you want them to go. And so this means in, in, in the church that, that we can't lead people where we are unwilling to go ourselves. So being a shepherd means going before. It, it, it means be, being bold and courageous. So we know our sheep. We guide our sheep. Third, it means guarding sheep. Protecting the flock from wolves. The hired hands, they don't want any of this. Uh, they see some danger coming. They're like, I'm out of here. I'm not getting paid enough to do this. But w- w- when you have this sense of, of relationship and knowledge and ownership over the flock, you will give your life to protect the flock from danger. Wolves. People that would damage the flock, cause disunity, or lead folks astray. And so that means being a leader in the church means you're someone of good judgment and of good character and of good motives, that you have a wise, biblically formed mind and heart, and and that you're courageous, that you're willing to stand up for what's right and, and stand against that which is wrong. Fifth, it means, or fourth, it, it means feeding sheep. Jesus talks about leading sheep to pasture. And so as leaders in the church, it's our responsibility to provide people with a steady diet of the word. And feeding sheep does not mean cramming the food down people's throats, you know. That's not feeding people. But it's seeing our teaching and our engagement with the word. This is nutrition. There's this great, as I was researching for this um, sermon, I read this wonderful book from 1912. This, this guy was a pastor of the Broadway Tabernacle in New York City. This pastor named Charles Jefferson. He was there for 40 years. Amazing minister. And he wrote this book called Minister as Shepherd. And, and in his day, this was, you know, uh, a time in America when there were pastors, you know, they would build bigger and bigger sanctuaries so these masters, these princes of the pulpit, as they called them, could sort of hold court. And, and, and he was speaking against that. He said, the curse of the pulpit is the superstition that a sermon is a work of art and not a piece of bread or meat. Sermons rightly understood are primarily forms of food. They are articles of a diet. They are meals served by the minister for the sustenance of spiritual life. Man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Being a shepherd means having a heart for lost sheep. Jesus says there are sheep who are of this fold, but they're not here yet, and so I got to go out and I got to bring them in. And so we can't be a leader in the church if we do not have a heart for the lost. You know, one vision that I have for this community here is that we will be a church that cares as much about the people who aren't here as the people who are here. 
and putting it more provocatively, who care more about the people who aren't here than the people who are here? That image of leaving the 99 to go get the one. And it's not a diss on the 99. It's just speaking about the value of the one, of the lost one. I've heard it said like this, that, that if you were sitting home for dinner and you had four kids and you called them in and it was time and, and three of your four kids showed up, you wouldn't go, well, we almost, you know, we're good. Three-fourths of them are here. Like, the vast majority are covered. No, you, you're like, we're going to go out and find that. We'll do anything to find them. And last, being a shepherd means that we love our sheep so much that we lay down our lives for them. And this is the last thing, but it's, it's probably the truest of all. We can't lead people that we don't love. Like, that is absolutely impossible. If you don't love people, you can't lead people. So that's the work of the shepherd, right? To guide, to guard, to feed, to have a heart for the lost, to, to lay down your life for them. But Peter mentions the motivation of the shepherd. And we see the two temptations that the shepherd faces. Covetousness and ambition. And covetousness in this context is not primarily, he says, you know, don't get into it for selfish gain. It's not primarily about entering into church leadership to get rich. Besides, there are notable exceptions to this, you know, and these get shared around whenever some, you know, pastor is like, the Lord wants me to have a private jet. Yeah, and all I want is like a minivan, you know, like God, I think, does want me to have that. Um, so please, we're taking a second offering. No, I'm kidding. But um, um, like, you know, these people, you go, oh, this is so crass. And, and you know, besides those very, very few notable examples, people don't get into church leadership for money. If they do, they're not very smart. Like they have chosen absolutely the wrong career path. So you got to get an advanced degree. It's, you know, it's just not great money. It's not bad, but it's, if you want to make money, there's much better ways to do it. But, but you can get into church leadership for other forms of compensation, right? Like, I get to stand up here in front of you and tell jokes, and you laugh. You sort of feel an obligation to laugh, right? There's this approval that I'm getting. Or this sense of people needing you, right? A crisis happens, and the pastor gets to show up and be this person people need. That feels good. We're getting paid with that. You know, we're, 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 we're the center of attention. The church revolves around us. We sort of have all this control over this thing. It's this covetousness, this born of, of selfishness. And Peter warns against that. He says, you cannot get into ministry for what you are going to get out of it, but instead what you're going to put into it for others. And the second great temptation of, of the shepherd is Ambition. This desire for power. St. Augustine called it the libido dominandi, the will to power. And so one wrong motivation for Christian leadership is the desire to have power over other people, to tell other people what to do, to get our way. And this ambition, it, it comes from the sin that is at the heart of all sins, pride. Pride being thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Placing yourself on a pedestal even above God. And pride was the sin before all sins, that sin in the garden that led our first parents astray to believe the words of the serpent and think that perhaps they knew better than God. And instead of ambition that causes us to try to boss people around, Peter encourages Christian leaders, be examples to the flock. 
And the example we follow is that of our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who when he modeled leadership, clothed himself with a slave's apron and washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus wasn't too good for anyone or above any task. And so as leaders in the church, we've got to be willing to get our hands dirty. So that's what it means to lead. But Peter also has a word about what it means to follow. It's a brief word, but it's important nonetheless. Because not everyone in the church is a leader. But you go, well, I'm a sheep. Sheeple, that's like a derogatory term that, that, that people use. But no, sheep in the ancient world were very highly valued. Very highly valued. A significant form of wealth. Sheep, sheep were awesome. And additionally, uh, Christ is the chief shepherd. So we're all sheep. He's the only one who's not. And so it's just that some sheep are called to put on shepherd's clothing. And so Peter's word is, is, is to younger people. There's a lot of debate about what that means. But as far as I can tell, it means people who aren't leaders in the church. It's just a contrasting term from elders who are leaders. And so this is people who aren't in a position of leadership. And he says, be subject to your elders. And it doesn't mean subjugation. It just means fitting oneself into the existing structure for the purpose of the mission of the church. And so being subject means praying for your leaders. Respecting their decisions, supporting with your time, talent, treasure, testimony, the mutual ministry that God has called us to together. So we've got lead, we've got follow, but now we've got get out of the way. And so how, how do we need to get out of the way? Well, first Peter says, get out of your own way. Get out of the way of your own ego, your own anxiety. He says, be humble because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we can't even begin to recover this, but before Christianity, humility was not a virtue. It was seen as being servile. But Jesus, he exalted humility to such a degree it can never be brought down again. And the thing about humility is, is it doesn't mean pretending that you're not gifted or good at what you're good at. It's not thinking less of yourself, as the quote goes, but thinking of yourself less. That's humility. So Peter says, get out of your own way. Get out, uh, get, let your ego get out of the way, and don't let your fear or anxiety cripple you either. That can paralyze you. And he says some of the most beautiful words that there are in Scripture. He says, cast your cares, cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Like, how much would that change our lives if we actually believe that God cares for us? He cares for us. So get out of your own way. And next, Peter says, get out of the devil's way. It's no accident that, that he mentions the devil right after he's mentioning humility and its relationship to pride. Because the most basic sin of the devil is pride. And so as Christians, we can't be naive. We can't forget that we do have an enemy who wants nothing more than to devour us. We've got to be on guard, be vigilant. Peter says, resist him. And there's a very similar passage in the, in the letter of James where it says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And so in all that we do, we, we, we can't forget that when we stand up for God and, and when we stand up for what's right, we will face resistance. So in the face of resistance, we resist, we stand firm. And the last word that I have is this. Just as we get out of our own way, we get out of the devil's way, we need to get out of Jesus' way. Peter says, basically what's the climax, the climactic sentence, verse 11 of this letter, he says, to him, 
belong the dominion forever and ever. The power is his. It's not ours. It isn't up to us. We can't control the results. All we can do is play our part, stand our ground, knowing that if we stand firm and stand faithful, then the God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so when we face trials, struggles, and sufferings because of our allegiance to Jesus, Peter's advice is don't just do something, stand there. And when you do, God will fix what is broken, confirm what you question, strengthen what is weak, and establish you on a foundation when you just feel wobbly. So the Lord Jesus is our shepherd, our pastor, our hope. And it's he that will lead us home into that bright future he has prepared for those who belong to him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me.